1: Where we are already catching Venom Fever. we got the largest poker tournament ever to be played on a U.S. facing site coming up. It's a $12.5 million guaranteed no limit hold'em tournament called the Venom. We have qualifiers going on now and the first day one is on April 14th the day before tax day here in the States, fresh off the OSS, the online super series that was a tremendous, arousing success. We're now setting our sights on the record-breaking tournament next month. We have qualifiers for as low as $0 for this massive tournament, running all the time right now on ACR Poker. My name is Clayton Fletcher, and I am in serene, tranquil Heavenly, Rochester, Minnesota. I'm headlining all weekend at Goonies Comedy Club, GooniesComedy.com. You guys can grab tickets to come see me Friday and Saturday night at 7.30, appearing for the first time at Goonies Comedy Club this weekend. And then Sunday, I'm heading off to Chicago with the intention of playing a few of the circuit events out there in Hammond, Indiana. So I'm in the greater Minneapolis area right now Heading to the greater Chicagoland area next. Give me a shout on Twitter at Clayton Comic if you're going to be around for either of these stops in my travels. It's March. Guys, I'm excited. Spring is coming. That means baseball, sunshine, flowers, and of course, the World Series of Poker schedule. I've been obsessing over it ever since it was released last week. Picking out some key events that I might want to try to play this summer, the can't miss events, obviously the main event. I'm also looking at the 10K Mystery Bounty. I think I would play a million-dollar Mystery Bounty, a million-dollar buy-in Mystery Bounty if if they had one. I would find a way to play it. But I'm also kind of waiting on the win and to see what they're going to do with their summer series. And then, of course, Venetian, MGM Grand, ARIA, And whatever else likes to compete with the main stage action going on at the Horseshoe and Paris. I'm very excited for Vegas this summer. And really just looking forward to making a lot of things happen in the remainder of 2024. I did a stream, you guys, on Monday. And thank you to each and every one of you who showed up for it. I was on twitch.tv slash ClaytonComic. And I'm figuring out, Twitch, I was streaming day two of the $109 Mystery Bounty Tournament, day two on ACR Poker. It had a $750,000 guarantee that was shattered to the tune of $60,000. So yeah, a very successful event. Part of our OSS, our flagship series. We were playing for a lot of money. You know, we're going to talk about... A couple of hands from that event a little bit later in the podcast. But yeah, I'm still getting the hang of Twitch. I do like it. I appreciate if you guys can give me a follow on there, or a subscription or whatever you call it. I don't think it costs anything to do that, at least not at this point. I don't know how to do everything yet on there, but at least I'm able to get up and running and, and let everybody see. You can see my cards because I do it on a delay, like a five-minute delay. So you can see the hand I played five minutes ago cards up, which I think is the only way to really watch poker. Well, I, mean, I really shouldn't say that. Derek's stream is incredibly entertaining and he doesn't have his cards up. He plays in real time and has his cards covered. But, you know, I did a Twitter poll and the overwhelming majority of the respondents, of which there were hundreds, maybe four or 500, everybody was basically saying 81 or 82 percent of the respondents were saying they prefer the delay so that they can see each and every hand. So it's a little hard in the chat because you guys might be commenting on a hand I played five minutes ago, but otherwise I think it's a good trade-off for you to be able to see what I'm doing. And I kind of talk through the hands while I play. So it's a little bit more strategy intensive than my TPE counterpart, Killing Bird, who it's more about, you know, just good vibes and good times. And uh, I, I love joining him as well. So I'm trying to figure out when I'll be Twitch streaming, I don't want to compete with Derek's streams. He generally does Sundays and Tuesdays. I don't know if I want to be streaming at the same time. But I feel like talking through my decisions as, I, as I'm making them, knowing that some of you are watching, uh, I find that's uh, that's good for me. It helps me stay focused and really think through all the decisions. I think that if I try to be entertaining on Twitch while I was playing, I don't know, 10 or 20 tables, I think that would be an absolute disaster. But just for the one or two tables that I'm doing right now while I'm streaming, everybody can sort of follow the action and we can talk about theories, strategies, and decisions. So yeah, join the fun. Twitch.tv slash ClaytonComic. Hit subscribe and then you'll be notified, I guess, the next time I go on there and decide to stream. But yeah, I expect to pick that up a little bit more in the coming months leading up to the World Series of Poker. I've been working a lot with GTO Wizard. It's a great piece of software. It helps you study any spot using the power of artificial intelligence. You can analyze your own play and find holes in your game that you need to plug. Maybe you're too aggressive in this case or maybe not aggressive enough in that case or maybe you just pay off too much on the river. Whatever that may be, the GTO Wizard software platform can help you find and plug Those leaks. So let's see what the GTO wizard solver has to say about last week's strategy hand, which you may recall was taken from the $88 long card daily double, part of the aforementioned OSS, as played on America's Card Room. Just to quickly review here, the blinds were 500 and 1,000, with a 125 ante per player. Uh, The average stack was 36K. We had 32K, so right in the mix there with an M of about 13. 32 big blinds, three-folds to me, and I held the Queen of Spades, Jack of Diamonds. I decided to open to 2,500 to try to set up a better SPR. I think a 32 big blind stack is pretty difficult to play, especially with a top pair type of hand like Queen-Jack offsuit. A decent player in the cutoff called... With 23k behind and everyone else folded. So let's look at Queen Jack offsuit. The solver always makes it 2.1. So the solver doesn't consider all the different stack sizes at the table, at least not the way I have mine set up. I don't know if I can really change each and every. I just type in an effective stack. In real life, not everyone has the same stack. In this case, the shorter stack called me, which kind of solved. All of our SPR problems, whether we had raised it just the minimum or 2.5 or 3 or 2.1. But just so you guys know, the solver always does 2.1 here. And always 100% opens the queen jack off from middle position. So heads up out of position. The pot was 7,500. And the flop came jack of clubs, 10 of diamonds, 7 of clubs. And we had queen jack with no clubs. And we're out of position, and I remember saying on last week's episode that the solver study that I've been doing with GTO Wizard is teaching me that when you are out of position, we don't see bet very much. Typically, all things being equal, we have to rein in our aggression factor post-flop when we are out of position. And the reason for this is simple. The opponent didn't have any chips invested and opted to cold call our raise, our two-bet, if you will. And so that is a much stronger range than if we were in the same situation versus the big blind. So the big blind can have a whole lot of hands. This player has a much tighter range than a big blind defender. So for that reason, we have a lot of checks in our range. Now you balance them by having an assortment of hands that you would check and call with, as opposed to check and fold or check raise with. So for that reason, I'm really supposed to check here a lot, and I knew that, but because of the favorable SPR and because we didn't have that many chips behind, I saw this as a flop for me to try to get the rest of our opponent's stack all in. So I tried that, betting 47.50 into the 7,500 pot, or about two-thirds of the pot, and the solver predictably checks 91% of the time, so... Here again, I think if you're in position, like if you're playing on the button versus a random any two cards from the big blind type of hand, I believe that we would be betting top pair way more often than 9% of the time. But as it stands here, because we're out of position, we're meant to be checking 91% of the time and hardly ever betting two thirds of the pot. It does that sizing only about 2% of the time. So, the other 7% not accounted for, it's mostly just the one third pot sizing that we're more accustomed to. But very, very clear the solver strongly prefers almost always checking in this situation. But I did bet 4750 into 7500, at which point our opponent basically min raised us to 10K, half of his remaining stack basically. And my reaction to that was to shove. And then you may recall our opponent called with the uh, king of clubs, queen of clubs. So even though we were technically ahead on that flop, our opponent was a favorite with all of those outs. I think 18 outs is the number I counted. And that favorite hand did end up making a flush and beating us out of most of our stack. So let's see what the solver has to say about my shove on the flop now remember guys the solver is mostly not betting to get raised but in the rare instance when we do bet the flop it's a low frequency play (laughs) that's solver language for something we don't do that much because we're not supposed to but when we do bet this flop and get raised the solver wants to fold 75 percent of the time and call 24 percent of the time and just really sprinkling in just a minuscule, kind of meaningless raising to other amounts, only shoving 0.4% of the time. So that's the play I did, the 0.4% play. So yeah, I don't think I can give myself any points for that decision. I was very surprised that we're just bet folding top pair on Jack-10-7, I guess we could be drawing close to dead if our opponent has a straight or a set, but we also don't have any clubs in our hand, which makes it that much more likely that our opponent could be bluffing with exactly the type of hand that he has, something like King-Queen of Clubs. But even so, it's clearly a high equity bluff, and if the best we can hope for is that we're up against a flush draw that has overcards to beat us with, then maybe it's just best to fold because that's the best case scenario And the worst case scenario has us drawing dead or very, very close to dead. So I learned something here. I made several decisions in this hand, none of which are solver approved by GTO Wizard. And that's the value of being able to go through. It's just another way to look at your play. Now, some things I did for exploitative reasons, I can defend them. In this case, it just seems like I didn't play this hand very well. And I wanna learn about that. And if you wanna learn In the same way about mistakes you might be making, you want to join the GTO Wizard community. So there's a link in the description of this podcast if you use it to sign up, and then you'll save 10% of your first purchase. So do that. You'll be glad you did. Let's move on to the strategy hands for this week, which come from that Mystery Bounty tournament, the $800,000 plus Mystery Bounty. It was a $109. Dollar buy in. I made it to day two. Second in chips out of the remaining 758 or so players, 640 some would finish in the money. So, very early here on day two, kind of just action just getting started. Now, you got to remember this format, guys, it's a mystery bounty format. There's a lot of value. Half the prize pool is in those little treasure chests that you get by busting people on day two. So the strategy in this tournament is dramatically different from other tournaments. This tournament's about gambling, it's about giving action, and trying to collect some of those treasure chests. Or when we play in Vegas, it's a little envelope that I've never, ever held in my hands, despite making four day twos in live Mystery Bounty play enough about that. So it's really about trying to get your hands on some of those treasure chests. Now, in my case, even more so because I had everyone at my table so covered. I believe the average stack was something like 80,000 and I had 322,000. And there were many, many stacks at my table that were well below average. So I was trying to get in there, mix it up, gamble for 10, 15, even 20% of my stack with a reasonable, or in some cases, not so reasonable hand, just in an attempt to collect those bounty prizes, because that's where half the money is. There's a top bounty prize of $75,000. This is a $100 buy-in, guys. Seventy-five dollars top bounty prize to claim, uh, three $25,000 prizes, and three $10,000 prizes. So yeah, I'm going to get in there and mix it up and try to get my hands on some of those. The minimum, by the way, was $250. So I showed up, as I mentioned on my Twitch stream, twitch.tv slash ClaytonComic. I mentioned that it was important to try to gamble early and see if I could bust some fools. Like the player on my left had like six big blinds to start. So that does factor into some of the decisions that I made in this tournament. So pretty early on, the blinds were 600 1200 with 150 big blind ante. So we have about 250 big blinds at the second biggest stack remaining in the tournament. The player in third position min raises to 2,400 off of a stack of just 33,000. So he's got about 10% of my stack. I decided, it folded to me in the small blind, and I decided to get after his bounty, or at least try to put him in a tough spot where he doesn't want to bust before he gets into the money. I three bet from the small blind to 7,800, holding the queen of spades, seven of clubs. Also, the big blind is that very, very short stack I mentioned a minute ago with just six big blinds. So I was hoping maybe he would get in there and then I would have a shot at two bounty prizes for not that much of my stack. Uh, The big blind actually folded this time. And now my opponent, who, by the way, started this hand with only about 27 bigs. Decides to call the three bet. He's in position. We have queen seven, and the flop comes. King of diamonds, eight of clubs, four of diamonds. And I misspoke before. I actually had the queen of spades, seven of diamonds. Okay, so we did have the (laughs) backdoor seven high flush draw for whatever that's worth. Uh, The pot at this point was 18,000, and our opponent had only 26,000 behind. And we flopped nothing. But let's talk about whether this is a good flop for a C-bet from the three-better. Well, I think it probably is. I mean, it's a king-high flop. I should have a lot more king-x in my range than our opponent has in his. I mean, obviously, we have queen-seven right now, so nothing. But yeah, I don't think there are too many king-x type of hands that he should be opening and then calling the three-bet with when he's so short. Certainly not ace-king. Certainly not king-queen. I don't think king-queen suited or off suit makes sense to just call. So it's pretty tough to put him on a king with that stack. So what else could he have? Maybe like a diamond draw, but we do have a diamond in our hand. He could have maybe ace-eight suited, I guess. But yeah, he shouldn't have too much like eight-seven, nine-eight, uh, five-four. So it's very hard for our opponent to really have anything on this flop. So I decided to go for a c-bet. Here, it's a uh, situation where betting big doesn't really do anything that betting small would not. So I decided to put in 5,100 into the pot of 18,000. So pretty small bet by me, but honestly, maybe we can go even smaller. Like he really can't be calling with a gut shot or whatever, 6-5 type of hand not, not with his stack the way it is, but you really can't afford to lose any more chips. Speculating, maybe even just betting 2500 is fine in this situation because he really won't be screwing around too much without a piece of this board. And like I said, I don't think he can have a piece of this board very often. So even though I bet small, I think I could have bet even smaller, opponent called. So now there's 28000 in the middle And Villain only has 21,000 behind. And the turn card is the Queen of Clubs, pairing our Queen. So our board is now King of Diamonds, 8 of Clubs, 4 of Diamonds, Queen of Clubs. And we've got a Queen with a 7 kicker. I think this is a great card for me, because now I'm beating every 8x in his range, as well as all of his flush draws. I decided to shove and go for the bounty. It's not that much more. There's 28,000 in the middle. He's got 21,000 behind. And he snap called with the king of hearts, five of hearts. So not really a hand that I thought he would even open from third position and certainly wouldn't have expected him to call a three bet with it, even a modest one like the one I made. I made a smallish kind of three bet because I knew that the only two players remaining in the hand had short stacks, so there wasn't much reason for me to go bigger although i guess if he can call with king five maybe i should have bumped it up a little bit more or not gotten involved at all regardless i still had outs to beat him and collect his mystery bounty on the river but alas i could not hit a queen or a seven to bust him so in the same level by the way guys before we talk about the next hand this may sound crazy to some of you especially if you've never gotten involved in mystery bounties and the strategy for this type of tournament. But let me tell you a quick story because over the summer last year, I made day two of a $2,200 mystery bounty tournament at the Wynn Resort in Fabulous Las Vegas. And I sat at the same table with noted poker expert, Chance Corneth, who was a chip leader at our table and our table had a lot of very short stacks and was playing this exact style. I mean, he opened under the gun with jack seven offsuit. He was playing just about every single pot and playing them quite aggressively, really going for bounties and trying to get that half of the prize pool into his pocket. And I watched him do this for hours on day two of that tournament, and he eventually won the whole thing. Not to say that that result proves it's a correct strategy. I'm just letting you know, these tournaments are about gambling, which is why... I love them. I'm the type of person who embraces variants. I've seen it all. And now I'm just here to like, you know, spin the wheel and see who wins the bounty prize. And that doesn't mean we want to take a bunch of spots that are minus EV. It does mean, though, that because of the extra incentive to try to hit the 75k big one, there is a lot of value in getting involved in spots where you otherwise would have a negative EV decision. It becomes a positive one. Now, maybe you could argue that I take that too far in these events, and perhaps you're right. But the fact is, this format hasn't been around long enough to have been solved just yet. So I'm just kind of trusting my knowledge of game theory, probability, etc. to guide me, which is why I got excited about this format in the first place when they first announced this style of poker that kind of combines trying to hit a jackpot on a slot machine, basically, with playing, you know, a traditional multi-table poker tournament. I got excited because I knew that this format would inspire people to gamble and that gambling would be correct under this format, right? And then seeing Chance play in such a wild and loose, aggressive way over the summer just confirmed my suspicion that this may be the correct strategy after all so let's do another hand from the same level Uh, this time I'm in the cutoff with uh, king five offsuit we've got a very short stack on my left with only five big blinds he's been hanging in there since the beginning of the day he was one of the shortest stacks in the whole tournament and he's still here now I don't know if your solver tells you to open with king five offsuit from the cutoff I don't think it does but in this spot I decided to gamble and I'm really hoping that the shorty will shove so that I can gamble you know if he's got ace jack or pocket fours king five is doing just great as long as our opponent doesn't have pocket kings or any kind of king x in his hand we're going to be doing just fine versus his shoving range considering the added value provided by his mystery bounty. So I raised uh, just the minimum. I made it two big blinds and the short stack shoved on the button for six big blinds and everybody folded back to me, which surprised me. Usually in these types of tournaments, people fight for those bounties a lot more than they would in other all-in situations, of course. But perhaps just my monster sack and the fact that I'd already shown down several mediocre hands. No one's going to scare me out of anything, apparently. So maybe they just decided to give me this one. Which, if you think about it, guys, that's another reason to play this style early on day two before you get into the money of a mystery bounty tournament. So I called, and sure enough, my opponent had pocket threes. All I have to do is hit a king or a five, but no... He actually hits a three and flops a set on me. And so I was drawing virtually dead from the jump. But this is what bounty hunting is all about. You know, you got to try to get in there. I flipped a coin for like 2% of my stack, right? For a shot at $75,000. Wouldn't you? Anyway, I got into another coin flip versus that same player who was obviously less short stacked now. And uh, this time I actually had a real hand. I had Ace King versus his Jacks. And guess what? He flopped a set on me again. This guy ended up building his stack from 11,000, which is where he started the day, all the way up to over 150,000 at one point. And on my stream, I was talking about what a run he had had. And if you ever cash in a tournament or make day two, of a tournament be it live or online and you're like well i just have a dusty stack i'm not really gonna be able to do anything you know don't show up with that attitude it could end up being a very long day so make sure you get lots of sleep if you go out to vegas this summer and you make day two of something with just a few chips don't give up and make sure you you rest and prepare as though you're going to have the chip lead at some point because guess what you just might. Anyway, uh, let's do one more hand. Let's do one from the next level. So about 20, 30 minutes later, the blinds went were up to 700 and 1,400. And I still had 248,000. So many things went poorly for me in that first level. The fact that I still had almost 200 big blinds was incredible, but that just goes to show like, what are you really risking if you have a monster stack and there's plenty of Micro stacks at your table. Obviously, I wasn't trying to lose those chips. I was trying to collect those mystery bounty prizes. So anyway, lots of carnage and gambling I've been doing early on. I still have such a big stack. Still have my table very, very well covered at this point, but I had not collected any bounties yet at that point. A very loose, aggressive player opens under the gun for the minimum 2,800 off of a stack of 60,000 So he's got about 43 times the big blind. The action folded to me in the small blind and the big blind, remember, is that same player we've been discussing from the other hand, the one I've already doubled up twice. He now has 40k in his stack and I have the ace of hearts, queen of spades. So folded to me in the small blind, facing a loose aggressive players under the gun open off of a stack of 60,000. Well... You know, my decision here, I'm never folding, obviously, but should I 3-bet again, or should I just call this time and see a flop from out of position with ace-queen off-suit? Well, I think it's pretty close. Obviously, you can 3-bet with this hand, especially when your opponent is, is fairly loose and fairly aggressive, as I've noticed him to be. Um, but, you know, it really comes down to me, do I want to put in all 43 of his big blinds? And, you know, which is essentially 25% of my current stack to try to win what I can only hope is a coin flip at this point. Do you want to risk 25% of your stack? Like, so if I three bet and he keeps raising, aren't we going to have to put it in? Like, do I really want to three bet fold with a hand as strong as ace queen offsuit? I don't think so. But also putting in 43 big blinds with this hand in this spot didn't seem right either. And I know calling is not a compromise, as my friend Andrew Brokus likes to say. But in this situation, I decided to call, take a slightly more conservative line, maybe disguise my hand strength a little bit, right? Because he's probably raising under the gun with ace-jack, ace-10. If we flop an ace, unlikely. But if we do, maybe I can get a lot of chips off of him at that point. But another consideration is there are so many very short stacks At the table, there's one guy with like 25,000, another guy with 31,000. Why do I want to risk such a big chunk of the stack with ace queen? I didn't, so I decided to make the call. And now we're going to see a flop. The big blind actually folded, getting a pretty good price. And now we're going to see a flop from out of position hero with the ace of hearts, queen of spades. There's 8,400 in the middle, opponent. With 55,000 in his stack. And the flop comes 8 of clubs, 7 of spades, deuce of hearts. 8-7 deuce rainbow. And I decided to check to the razor. And the razor checked behind. So we got to see a free turn card. And it came the queen of diamonds. So it's now 8-7 deuce queen, badugi And we've got ace queen. So I decide to lead on this card. I don't want to give him a free card. I want to try to get value. I feel like he's going to have a lot of queen X that I can beat. When he checks back on the flop, eight high flop, right? He checks behind, and he's a fairly aggressive player. I feel like he's going to show up with a two-over card type of hand, maybe like a queen-jack, a king-queen. And these are hands I can get a lot of value from. So I might as well be optimistic. If he has nothing at all, like if he has ace-ten, he's probably just going to fold no matter how much or how little... I bet on this turn card. So we're not going to worry about trying to get action from those hands. I'm trying to get action from a worse queen. So I bet 5,000 and our opponent made the call. So now with 18,400 in the pot and an opponent with about 49,000 behind, the river came the nine of hearts. So our final board was eight, seven, deuce, queen, nine, And I decided to go for extreme value here into the pot of 18,400. I bet 27,150% of the pot. And I felt like it was a good bet. I was trying to get action from King, Queen, Queen, Jack. You know, the solvers are telling everybody you've got to do bluff catching with top pair. So I'm really trying to punish those other top pair kinds of hands. But imagine my chagrin. When my opponent shoved for just 22,000 more. I mean, I bet 27,000 of his 49,000 on the river. And now he shoves on me. I mean, look, I'm getting better than four to one on a call. But, you know, am I good 20% of the time when he shoves on me? I mean, he's knowing uh, the way I've been playing this tournament. It looks like I'm crazy. He knows I'm going to call with so many hands, but maybe that is why he might shove here with King Queen. Like, I don't have to have king-queen beat, so I'm really torn here. Will my hand be good 20% of the time? I really don't know, but I'm not good enough at poker yet to throw it away, especially when I've developed such a ridiculously loose and wild image that I'm sure some of my opponents did not understand in the first place. So I made the call, and sure enough, my opponent had jack 10 of hearts for a rivered straight. And that one hurt. That With that hand, I lost 25% of my stack. So that was kind of a tough one to take, as I'm sure you can imagine. I really do regret the overbet. I think that I had a theory behind it that made sense. I was trying to get King-Queen or Queen-Jack to call me. But yeah, I really kind of didn't see the straight. I wasn't really thinking about Jack-10 as being a big part of our opponent's range. Mostly because he checked back. On the flop, I found that strange That he would check back that flop with Jack 10 I think that's a hand that I would probably Want to include in my C-betting range In Villain's shoes You know, you've got the uh, two over cards You've got the gut shot So yeah, it seems like enough To C-bet for me But, you know, not everyone plays the same way Of course But yeah, it's fun to stream And everybody talking about you know What made sense, what didn't What hurt, what didn't And you know, whether or not I'm even any good at this poker stuff and should I quit my day job. Speaking of which, <laughs> it's a it's a night job this weekend at Goonies Comedy Club, gooniescomedy.com and get tickets to come see me in Rochester, Minnesota, just outside of Minneapolis this weekend. Also hit me up on uh, the Discord. There's a link in the description. You can let me know if you're going to be in the Chicago area next week and maybe you want to meet me at the Circuit event in Hammond, Indiana, And, of course, you guys want to join ACR. If you haven't done that yet, now's the time. Click the link in the description of this podcast. You can get a 100% first-time deposit bonus up to $2,000 just by using the promo code TPE. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, with special thanks, as always, to our very generous sponsor, ACR Poker. I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.
0: I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me I love it. Lock and intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart